family. What are your thoughts when you hear this word? Dinners, birthday parties, graduations and weddings? Do you think love, intimacy, and laughter? Or do you think of pain, absence, and conflict? Whatever your thoughts are, family was God's idea. His desire is for you to join his vibrant and growing family. A family marked by sacrifice and acceptance, marked by diversity and unity, marked by an eternal significance. Let's make what matters most matter more. Welcome, everybody. Uh, appreciate you joining us today, whether you're doing that in person at one of our campuses or online. And if this is your first time with us, I sure hope that it won't be your last. You know, if you think about it, it is hard to imagine an aspect of our lives that has not been affected by this past year's pandemic. Right? I mean, think about it. It's affected us physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, financially, spiritually. Uh, it's changed the political climate in our nation. It's disrupted our businesses, our schools, and even our churches. There's almost no stone that's been left unturned by this past year. It is truly Change and, and even though, I mean, we're sort of rounding a corner and, and maybe headed to the other side of this, I believe the ripple effects of this past year will continue to affect us for many years to come. In fact, that's why I said back in January, our goal as a church for 2021 is to try and make what matters most matter more. Because as difficult as this past year has been, it has also been a great opportunity for us to see what are the things in our lives that truly matter. What are the things that really count? And my fear, my concern is that as we come out of the other side of this, our human nature, our tendency will be just to start adding back and going back and doing the same old things that we've done before. This is a great opportunity for God to use this past year to transform our lives. And I think one of the areas that this can happen for us is in our families and our family relationships. It's really interesting that this pandemic had both positive and negative effects on our family relationships, right? I mean, for some of us, it gave us this rare opportunity to have a lot more time and a lot more togetherness with our families. Like when everything shut down, it was like an extended snow day right? You had everybody home, nothing was open. So many of us rediscovered the simple pleasures of taking a walk or a bike ride with our family. The restaurants were closed and many of us actually started having meals around the family table. 
we begin to figure out how much we missed just that togetherness time as a family. That was a good lesson to learn. Now, obviously, for some of us, this pandemic had the exact opposite effect. It isolated us from families. We were unable to go and visit children and grandchildren and parents or siblings. In fact, we had an entire holiday season where many of us could only connect with our family through Facebook Live or Zoom or looking through the window of a nursing home. And as painful and difficult as that was, it is still an opportunity to be reminded of just how much our family matters. See, whatever way this pandemic has affected your family relationships, I think one thing we can all agree on is that our family relationships matter. They are the most important and impactful relationships in our lives, both positively and negatively. And I think we would all agree on the fact that as important as our family relationships are, the truth is they are often the most difficult to deal with. So the next couple of weeks, we want to just spend some time focusing on our families and our family relationships, not just to be reminded of how much our families matter, but to be intentional about making them matter more moving forward. And so today, I just want to talk about some practical ways, things that every one of us can do, no matter what family situation we're in, there are some things all of us can do to improve those family relationships. And we're going to talk about that. But before we do that, can I just issue a warning? If you are sitting with family members today, I'm going to encourage you during the whole message to just keep your eyes forward. No looking, no stink eye, no elbows, right? Families are tough, but they're important. And there are things all of us can do to make those relationships better. If you have great family relationships, there's always room for improvement. If you've got broken and dysfunctional family relationships, guess what? You can do some things to make them better. So let's jump in. Number one, the first thing we need to do to improve family relationships is start with me. Improving family relationships starts with me. See, most of us have convinced ourselves that we could have better family relationships if we had better families, right? If the people in our families would just do the things they should do and stop doing the things they shouldn't do, then we would have better families if they would just change, But here's the thing. Here's the problem with that mindset. You can't change anybody. The only person you can change is you. Because you're the only person you have control over. So that change has to start with you. Great example of this in the Old Testament. David. You know the story of David, the little boy who killed the Goliath with the slingshot, went on to become this great king, the greatest king the nation of Israel ever had, the man after God's own heart. You may know that part of the story. What you may not know is that David had one of the most jacked up, dysfunctional families in all of human history. Just within his immediate family, he had an affair, the death of a child, Uh, favoritism of one child over another, sibling rivalry, sibling rape and incest, 
all of that in his In fact, one of David's adult sons led a rebellion against his father to take over the kingdom. You think your family's jacked up? David's family makes your family look like the Waltons. And yet in the midst of all of that, I want you to notice David's prayer. Psalm 101.2. David says, I will try to walk a blameless path. But how I need your help. Especially in my own home. Where I long to act as I should. Did you catch that? In the middle of the, all the defunct, dysfunctional behaviors of all of these family members in our lives, David's prayer is not God change them, it's God change me. Why? Because David knew that's where change always starts. You cannot change the people in your family. I don't care what you try. Some of us can tell you from experience, you can exhaust yourself trying to change them. It will not work. You cannot change them, but you can change the way you interact with them. You can change the way you respond or don't respond to them. And believe it or not, you can actually control the level of impact you allow them to have in your life. That's why change has to start with me. So let's do this. I want you to think about that difficult person in your family, that difficult relationship or that difficult situation. Just one person, right? Limit one per person. That's the hardest thing, narrowing it down to one difficult person or one difficult situation. But I want you to get one in there. All right, you got it? Now, here's what I want you to ask yourself. What is one thing I can do differently in my relationship with that person? What is one thing I can change about me to improve that relationship? Because it's got to start with me. Number two, the second thing we can do to improve our family relationships is make it a priority. Make it a priority. You want better family relationships? Then prioritize the relationships within your family. Because listen, family relationships don't magically get better with time. Family relationships are not wine. They don't get better with time. They only get better with attention and intentionality and effort. They have to be a priority for us before anything's going to change in them. You know, one of the clearest truths Jesus ever taught was the priority of relationships. In fact, when Jesus was asked, what's the number one priority of our lives? His answer, relationships, right? Love God, love people. Those relationships, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, same as, equal to, love your neighbor as yourselves. And so if relationships are the number one priority God has for our lives, what does that say about the importance of the relationships that with the people we have that God put closest to us? Listen, our family relationships are the number one priority of the number one priority. Paul doesn't mince any words in 1 Timothy 5.8. Look at what he says. He says, but those who won't care for their relatives, 
especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. That's a strong stuff. Let that sink in for just a minute. Do you hear what Paul is saying, what God is saying through Paul? That the depth of my faith is directly proportional to the level of care I show for my family. Now, here's the thing. The key to understanding that verse is to understand that phrase, care for. Circle that, those who won't care for. Circle that phrase, care for. What does that mean? What does it mean to care for the people in your home, in your family? Well, I did a little research this week, and that phrase, care for, in the Greek which is the original language the New Testament was written in. It is a single Greek word. It is a verb that means to provide for their needs. But it also means to plan ahead. Caring for your family is not just giving them whatever they say they need in the moment because that's not always what they truly need. Caring for your family is about taking the time, making the effort to think through a long-term view of what is really best for them. It's about making them enough of a priority to spend some time thinking, if I do this or don't do that, it may be what they want in the immediate, but is that really what's best for them in the long term? That's what it means to care for the needs of your family. So what are the needs of your family members? Well, there are two that are universal. One of them is your time and attention. Your family needs your time and attention. Why? Because that speaks value to them. When you give someone your time and attention, you are saying you are important. You matter. You have value. That need to be valued is deeply ingrained in the heart of every human being. The need to be noticed, to be valued. Those of you who have young kids, you know how true this is. Your kids will do whatever they got to do to get your attention. If they can get it through good behavior, great. But if not, they're going to get it through bad behavior. Why? Because they need to be affirmed and valued, and they get that from your attention. But listen, that need doesn't go away on our 18th birthday. We continue to have that need as adults. So I'm just suggesting that maybe the reason your spouse acts the way they do, or your siblings, or your parent, or your children, maybe the reason they act the way they do is because they desperately need to know that they matter to you. And you meet that need through your time and attention. Another universal need of families, healthy boundaries. I'm telling you, families in America today are desperate for healthy boundaries. Listen, I talk to marriage and family counselors and therapists, and they all tell me the same thing. There is a massive deficit of healthy boundaries in our families, and many, if not most, of the problems we are seeing in adults and parents and couples and children is there are no healthy boundaries. Now, if you're wondering 
what healthy boundaries are, what I mean when I talk about boundaries. Let me give you the simplest definition of boundaries. Boundaries is this, being willing to say no when no is what's really best. And I'm telling you, our young children, our adult children, they desperately need you to say no when no is best. Because let me tell you something, parents of adult children, if you continue to bail them out, if you continue to take on the responsibilities of their poor choices, the consequences of their poor choices, you are getting in the way of a truth God is trying to teach them. He is trying to grow them, and you're just stepping in the way. Get out of the way and trust God and let him work. And listen, every time you do for someone what they can do for themselves, you are crippling them for life. Whether it's a preschool or elementary, high school, adult, child, college student, 80-year-old grandfather, when you do for someone what they can do for themselves, you are saying to them, not out loud, but by your actions, you're saying to them, I don't believe you can handle this. I don't believe you can be an adult. I don't believe that you can manage your life. Our families need us to care for with a long-term view, with our time and attention and with healthy boundaries. Now, let's get practical, all right? How do you prioritize family relationships? I'm going to give you three words to memorize. You can write them down, but you probably don't have to because you can memorize them. Here you go, three words. Plan, schedule, do. Say that with me. Plan, schedule, do. Now say it like you mean it, all the campuses. Plan, schedule, do. Prioritizing family relationships starts with a plan. Just be intentional. What does that family member really need from me? Come up with the plan. And then once you have the plan, schedule it. Get it on your calendar. Block out the time needed. Block out that evening for a date night. Block out that afternoon for a day at the park or at the lake with your kids. Block out that night for a family meal around the table. Schedule a time to call that sibling, that parent, that person in your family you haven't spoken to in years. Plan it, schedule it, and then just do it. Follow through. Far too many of us schedule our families in pencil and everybody else in pen. We are quick to, to do away, to erase a family commitment if the job or the community or the work or something else gets in the way. Plan it, schedule it, and do it. You know, Billy Graham, Dr. Billy Graham, towards the end of his public ministry career, was asked on British television by an interviewer. At the end of the interview, the, the journalist said, Dr. Graham, as you look back over your life and all you've accomplished, do you have any regrets? Anything you'd change? Dr. Graham thought for a minute and said, yeah, I have one really big one. I wish I'd have spent less time doing ministry so I would have had more time to spend with my family. 
Think about that. Billy Graham, the man that God used to reach millions of people with the hope of the gospel, and yet he would say that my relationships with my family was more important. That's why I regularly tell our staff here at Cedar Creek Church that if you're in ministry long enough, you're going to end up in a place where there's the need of the church and the need of your family are going to intersect. The church is going to need you and your family is going to need you at the same time. And I tell them in that moment, cheat the church. Cheat the church. You know why I say that? Because our most important ministry is not what happens in the church, but what happens in our homes. And listen, that's not just true for vocational pastors and staff. It's true for every one of us as followers of Jesus. Our most important ministry begins with the people God has placed closest to us. So here's your homework. You ready? This week, I want you to do one thing to prioritize one relationship in your family. One thing. Now, don't get all, you know, sometimes you guys get all fired up emotionally on a Sunday morning from a message, and you go, I'm going to do 10 things for 10 different family members. No, you're not. Just do one thing for one relationship. What's one thing you could do to prioritize one relationship? Because if you want better family relationships, start with changing the things you need to change. Prioritize the importance of those relationships. And number three, remember the little things. Remember the little things. You know, I've shared this with you before whenever I officiate a wedding. In that part of the ceremony called the charge to the couple, I always say to them, remember that in a marriage, the little things are the big things. The reason I say that is not because it's a cute little hallmark moment and it makes for a pretty little touching service. I say that because it's a core truth of every relationship. See, most of us think we build better relationships with the big things, right? We want our family to know how much we love them and how much they matter. So we plan the big trip to Disney World. We want our teenager to know how proud we are of their accomplishments so we buy them that vehicle they want. Or we want our spouse to know how much we love them and are grateful for them. And we buy that big, expensive gift. Listen, nothing wrong with that. Those are all great things to do for your family. But understand, those are not the things that will make or break the relationships in your family. The big things make memories, but it is the little things done consistently over time that will build strong family relationships. So what are the little things? Well, I'm glad you asked because the Apostle Paul gives us a great list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong. That's a pretty good list of little things that really are big things. Now, we could spend the next six months going through that list. Let me just take a moment. I want to focus on three. In fact, I want you to circle three things in that passage. Circle the word patient, circle the word kind, and circle the phrase, keeps no record. Patience with your family is a little thing that is truly a big thing that is often one of the hardest things. It's easy to wait with your family. 
It's a lot harder to wait for them. You know, Terry and I have two very different uh, viewpoints of what it means to get ready to go somewhere. When, when, when it's time to go somewhere, for me, getting ready is just make sure I got on a shirt, throw a brush through my hair, make sure my shoes match, grab the keys, and I'm out the door. For Terry, getting ready to go out is a process, a time-consuming process. Now, I know what you're thinking, Philip. We look at her, and we look at you, and it's obvious who spent a little time getting ready, right? And so I'm often waiting on Terry to get ready. Now, I am impatient with her. Let me just be honest. I don't say hurry up, but I'll walk past the bathroom door and look at my watch and go, or way back when I was young and dumb, I used to go out to the car, start it up, and blow the horn. Husbands, let me just say, don't ever do that. It does not end well. It's tough to be patient with your kids, isn't it? Especially this past year when you were parent and teacher and had to do it all. I mean, I remember when my kids were little, we just had homework we had to help them with. You guys had the schoolwork and the homework. But I remember many times when my kids could not figure out how to do that math, and the light bulb wasn't going off, and I explained it 10 different ways, and they just couldn't get it. I would impatiently grab the paper and say, let me just do it for you. It's easier. It may be easier for me, but what does it say to my family? That you're not worth waiting for. Our families, the little things, they need our patience. They also need our kindness. Kindness is a big little thing that's a big thing. What is kindness? Do you know? Kindness is love expressed in simple, practical, everyday ways. Oh, it's easy to say, I love you. It's easy to write it on a card on Valentine's or to order a dozen roses from Amazon. Those things are easy. Kindness says, I love you, and yes, you can have the last bit of ice cream in the freezer. Kindness is willing to say, I care about what you have to say, even though I'm watching the ball game right now. Simple, practical, everyday expressions of love. And then a third little thing that's a big thing, maybe a huge thing, forgiveness. Forgiveness, keeping no record of wrong. This is huge with our families because if you got family, you got hurt. Nobody can hurt you like your family can hurt you. It's deep and it's lasting. That's why our families need massive doses of forgiveness. Listen, many of us would do well to erase that long list of wrongs that we've been keeping in our mind. Not for their benefit, but for your freedom to let go of that hurt. I'm not talking about pretending that it didn't happen. I'm not talking about sweeping it under the rug. I'm not talking about thinking that they didn't do anything bad or that they deserve it. I'm just just talking about releasing the pain they've caused you to God. In that words of that great theologian Elsa in Frozen, let it go. Let it go. Our families need that. And listen, the more you focus on these little things with your family, the bigger changes you'll start to see in your family. And then finally, number four, the fourth thing we can do to improve our family relationships is don't give up. Don't give up. One of the best gifts you can give to your family is your commitment to them. 
your willingness to hang in there with them through the difficulties, through the struggles, through their brokenness, through the pain they cause you to just say, I'm hanging in. See, unfortunately, we live in a culture of the disposable relationship, right? When the going gets tough, we get going. And we bounce from relationship to relationships, skimming on the surface, never going deep, and then wondering why we have so much emptiness and lack of intimacy in our relationships. Because you can't get true intimacy when you walk out when it gets tough. And we've allowed this cultural trend to bleed over into our family relationships. Oh, you may not have physically left, but you've given up. You've checked out. You're not willing to invest emotionally anymore. You're tired of trying because trying just keeps hurting. And listen, I get that. And it may seem easier to walk away or to check out. But when you do that, you miss out on an opportunity to experience the best, the deepest intimacy with another person. Because the best relationships are not two perfect people who are perfectly matched for each other. The best human relationships are people who will hold on to one another tooth and nail through no matter what we go through. We will be there. It's on the other side. Intimacy is forged in the furnace of struggles. That's where the good part is. That's why Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. As a communicator, I have been taught to avoid the words always, never, and every like the plague. Why? Because they're almost never true. There's almost nothing in our life that is an always or a never. And yet Paul uses those words four times in one sentence. Why? Did he make a mistake? Was he just trying to use hyperbole to get the point across? No. Paul uses those words because he knows that's how God loves us unconditionally. And while we can't love with perfect unconditional love, the people in our life. We're not capable of that, but we can get better at it. We can grow in it. We can let go of some of the conditions we're holding over the heads of our family. When that begins to happen, the impact is phenomenal. I've seen it in my own life. I've experienced it. I've been on the receiving end of that. Imagine the impact to your spouse, your son, your daughter, your parent, your sibling, whoever it is. Imagine the impact for you to say to them, no matter what, I will love you. No matter what, nothing will cause me to stop loving you. I may not enable you. I may not let you continue to hurt me. I may not even able to be around you for a season, but I will never stop loving you. Let me tell you something, church. That kind of love has the power to change lives and change families for generations to come.
So let me ask you this. Who are you about to give up on? That spouse, that marriage, that prodigal, that parent, that sibling, whoever that is, I am convinced that God brought you here today to say, don't give up. Don't enable. Not talking about restoring them to a place of trust when they haven't earned it. I'm just talking about hold on and believe that there's no heart God can't change and no relationship that God can't reconcile. Listen, I'm not stupid. I know that is a huge ask for some of you. Some of you have been so deeply wounded by the very people who were supposed to love you and protect you and provide for you and care for you. And those are the same people who abandon you or abuse you. And I can't even begin to imagine the depth and the the scars that that has left as you. And please hear me. I am not minimizing that and just saying, let it go and everything will be fine. I'm just saying, don't give up. At least be willing to keep praying. Could you do that? Could you at least be willing to pray for that person, for that relationship. Here's why, because when you're praying, you are hoping. And hope has the power to change lives. You say, Philip, can you guarantee me? If I don't give up, that, that they're gonna turn, they're gonna change, that relationship's gonna get better? No, there are no guarantees in relationships because they involve human beings. But there are two things I can guarantee you If you give up, the chance of reconciliation is zero. It's not going to happen. And I can also guarantee you this. If you hold on, you keep hoping, you keep praying, whether they change and come back or it gets reconciled or not, God will bless you for being willing to hold on. And that's why I want to close with this last verse on your outline, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, and I don't know when that is, I don't know how long that is, but at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Would you pray for me? Pray with me and pray for me. Father, I I thank you that we can talk about something here that really matters something that is real and raw and something every one of us deal with. And Father, I thank you that even in the brokenness of our families and family relationships, that you are still able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine. And I thank you even in the dysfunction of our families, you have provided with us your family the body of Christ, that what we have missed with parents or children or siblings or grandparents, you have provided a home and a place for every one of us, a place where we can experience your unconditional love and the hugs and the prayers and the tears and the smiles of your people who follow you. So, Father, Would you work a miracle? Would you strengthen a heart, encourage a parent, a sibling, a child? 
would you pour out your spirit right now. Let us experience your love because apart from that, we can't love the people you've placed in our homes. In Jesus' name, amen.